Hello and welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thanks for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. This lesson was previously recorded by Michelle in front of a live audience. In his letter to the Galatian churches, Paul spent time explaining um, the purpose of the law of Moses. He pointed out that the law had really been given by God as a tutor in order to lead us to Christ, because the law would teach us that we have fallen short of God's standard and that we really need a savior. Now, as we begin to look at Galatians chapter 5, we need to remember something, and that is when Paul wrote his letter, there were no chapters or verses or paragraph headings in it. Those were actually added to the text much later by printers who realized the value of being able to quickly find and reference a scripture. So it's often really important not to stop or start at the beginning of a chapter if we're to really make sense of what the author is saying. And that's certainly the case here, because in chapter 4, Paul had been speaking about the symbolism behind the two women who bore Abraham children. There was the slave girl, Hagar, who gave birth to Ishmael, another slave who would never inherit his father's riches. And then there was Abraham's wife, Sarah, who bore him Isaac, the son of God's promise. Now, in Paul's illustration, Hagar pictured the old covenant of the law between God and man, which could only produce slaves and not true sons. And Sarah pictured the new covenant of grace that finally made us true children of our Father in heaven and gave us an inheritance from him through Christ. So we're going to pick up in our text in the last verse of chapter 4 so that we can see the flow of what Paul says to his fellow believers in Christ. He says, Brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. And then he goes on to write, For it is freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Paul knew that there were many contrasts between the law of Moses and the grace of God. For example, the law focused on what a person did to please God, whereas grace focused on the merciful kindness of God. But here he points out another characteristic of the law, and it was a yoke of slavery. It was a burdensome thing to be under the weight of the law. Christ himself describes this in Matthew 23. There he pointed out that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were actually um, teaching things that really burdened people greatly, and they were really hypocritical in the way that they did it. He actually said, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. By contrast, in Matthew 11, Jesus invited people to follow him, saying, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
So Paul begins this part of the letter with that exhortation. He says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So Paul wanted them to understand what was really at stake if they submitted to, to um, give you a personal example to help you understand that is going to help. My husband and I moved from Africa to America, and at the time we applied to become citizens of the United States. Now that was no small thing because there were several laws and many rules that we had to follow in order to do that. When we swore the oath of allegiance to the United States of America, we willingly gave up our previous citizenship. We no longer belonged to that old life. But more than that, we took on a new set of obligations. We were then duty-bound to live by all the laws of America from that point forward. Paul wanted these Gentiles to understand that if they gave in to the pressure of the Judaizers and allowed themselves to be circumcised in order to become members of the Jewish nation, they would be bound to the law of Israel, just as my husband and I were now required to obey the laws of our new nation. Indeed, every man who let himself be circumcised in an effort to win God's favor would be required to obey the whole law. And that meant that Christ would have really been of no value to them then. For those who are trying to be justified by the law would be alienated from Christ. They would have abandoned God's grace. In verse 6, Paul says that all that truly matters is faith expressing itself through love. Christianity is not based on the law, but rather on relationship to Christ. Our lives are not founded on a book of rules, but rather on a relationship to Christ. It's not really about how well we follow the rules. It's about how much we love Jesus. And that said, obedience is part of our walk with the Lord. Because even Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And that's why Paul could say that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love, love for God and love for one another. And then Paul says in verse 7, you were running a good race 
Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Paul affirmed that his Galatian friends had been doing well in their following the gospel. That is, until these false teachers entered the picture and tried to trip them up. He wanted them to know that it was not Christ who was calling them to legalism, and he wanted to remind them of how toxic the Judaizers' teaching really was. He compares their teaching to yeast, and in Judaism, yeast was often an illustration of evil and of sin. Jesus also used the term in Matthew to describe the teaching of the Pharisees and the other Jewish religious leaders. Just as a very small amount of yeast has a great effect on a large amount of dough, false teaching can spread through and affect every area of church life. This legalistic movement in Galatia may not have been very large at this point, but it had the potential to infect everything. Paul then says something very strange indeed. He says, Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. For as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. So Paul is really going for shock value here because um, he, uh, he speaks in this way to really get their attention. But there's more to this than we first imagined because in that general area of the world at the time, there was a pagan goddess named Sibele. And uh, her worshippers and priests used to castrate themselves in order to win her favor. And when Paul said that he wished the false teachers would go the whole way and emasculate themselves, he was not only saying that he wished them to be rendered powerless, but he was also making the point that if the Galatians accepted the Judaizers' requirement of circumcision, they would be rather like those idol worshippers. They would have rendered themselves powerless for no real spiritual benefit. When Paul called people to live by faith, he knew, though, that some would ask, well, if I'm free, am I just able to live as I please? Paul wanted them and us to understand that God's grace did, does not give a license to sin, to live as we please, but it is love and not obligation that causes us to live for the Lord. Look at verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. 
In Christ, we have freedom from the law. We're saved by grace and not by what we do. And we're never to accept a different teaching other than that. However, we are not free to give in to sinful impulses. Our freedom is to be used for service. As believers, we're called to serve one another in humility and we're to respond to one another in love. If we as members of Christ's body bite and devour each other, we will destroy what Christ has built. Satan's job really is to promote backbiting among God's people in order to divide them. He knows that it'll empty us of power and he's willing to send false teachers and false believers among us to bring about that division. We have to be on our guard and Paul lays out how we are to accomplish this there in verse 16. He says that we are to walk by the Spirit, meaning that the way we live our life as well as our conversation has to be in submission to God's Holy Spirit within us. Even though that that may cause conflict within us from time to time because our flesh or human nature naturally desires what's contrary to God's nature. But we are not to do whatever we want. We're to yield more and more of ourselves to God. And as we do that, we'll find our relationship with God will deepen our understanding of him will expand and we will be changed. Not because we're following the laws of the Old Testament, but rather because we're being led by the Holy Spirit, who is really the one who is able to change us. Paul understands that people might wonder how to recognize if they're walking after the flesh or after the Spirit. And so in this next section, he begins in verse 19 by stating the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. We are to let go of what Paul calls the acts of the flesh. In other words, the acts that are associated with our old sinful nature. We're not to give in to their impulses in our lives because they belong to our old nature and we are no longer bound to them. He also says that these really are obvious, but we should look at them more closely because they apply to us today as well. Paul begins there with sexual immorality. In those days, just as it is today, there was a lot of sexual immorality. It was and is hard to escape it, but it's not impossible. Purity was really a concept that was introduced by Christianity, and Paul was declaring that they should not continue to live in the immor immorality of their past. Impurity is the next thing that he focuses on here, and... Um, Interestingly, the word that Paul uses here in the Greek for Im, uh, impurity was actually often used of pus oozing from an open wound, which was really the symptom of a deeper infection and sickness. Now, when we hear that, we kind of recoil from the idea, like his original listeners would have too. This impurity, though, is the filth that keeps a person out of God's presence. Next, 
He speaks of debauchery, which really is the shameless desire to sin. The person who's debauched quickly seeks to satisfy their lusts without any embarrassment. And then he lists idolatry and witchcraft. Idolatry was the worship of false gods, most often statues or objects of nature. But in reality, we can also make idols of many things like money, possessions, or even a philosophy of life. Someone once said, an idol is anyone or anything that takes the place of God in our hearts. Witchcraft, including the use of magic potions, is also something that no follower of Christ is to have any part of any longer. We don't often think of this as being a work of the flesh, but Paul lists it here. The flesh, you see, wants to trust in anything other than God. And this really is an open door to the enemy for many people. Paul also warns against hatred, discord, and jealousy. Hatred is the opposite of Christ's commands to us. A person who loathes others instead of loving them acts in direct contrast to the commands of Christ. Often their actions and words will lead to discord or rivalry among people as they begin to take sides. As you can, and you can be sure that you find jealousy right there alongside discord as people eagerly desire to have what others have, whether possessions or position. When a person struggles with jealousy, fits of rage are never far behind because as we feel unfairly treated, flashes of temper are bound to occur. Why do people behave in this way? It is because failing to trust God's best for them, they focus instead on their own selfish ambition, rather like the false teachers, who were controlled by their false motives, desiring position and what was in it for them. That sort of behavior was already leading to dissensions, factions, and envy within the church. In reality, we see this all the time in the world around us, where people who hold different views often end up disliking those who don't agree with them. It should be possible for people to differ with each other and yet to still remain friends. However, more and more these days, we see people who interpret having a different opinion to them as hatred for them personally. And this is also closely linked with envy. It's important, though, for us to understand that envy isn't wanting something someone else has. Envy is the pit that forms in our stomach when someone else has good fortune. And envy is the desire to take away the very thing someone else has, not for our own use, but just to see them suffer. Paul then concludes the list of sins with drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Drunkenness was very common in the world of Paul's day, and really, it's no different today. The first part of the brain that alcohol actually affects is the area responsible for self-control. And so consequently, a person under the influence of alcohol makes very poor decisions leading to uncontrolled behaviors of all kinds. 
this is not the kind of life that the Christian is called to. Now, I understand when we look at a list of these sins, we realize that we may still feel the pull of some of these impulses from time to time in our own lives. But that being said, this should not be the day-to-day pattern of our way of living. For we have been set free of sin's power. That's why Paul highlights the walk of those who are filled by the Holy Spirit next. He says in Galatians 5.22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What a contrast to the works of the flesh. These are the works of the Holy Spirit. The fruit is the evidence of his presence and his transformation in our lives. And as it is with all fruit, some takes longer to appear than others. And I say that because often I think we can become discouraged with our continuing struggles in one or another area. But we need to remember that growth really takes time and intentional cultivation. Maturity cannot be rushed. So be assured, though, when life is present, growth will happen. As he lists these godly attributes, Paul begins with love, because all of the other qualities actually flow out of that one. The word he uses for love is agape, which is, of course, the word for love that is only used when speaking of divine love. This self-sacrificing, unconditional love is what marks us as Christ's disciples. The Father has freely given his agape love to us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Agape love is to be part of our character because it's part of his But it doesn't come naturally to us, and it is a choice of our wills. The Holy Spirit produces within us, as we continue to cooperate with him, this love by, as we show love to all those who are even the hardest to love. When we begin to live in the love of God, we will begin to experience other fruit as well, a joy that doesn't depend on our circumstances and a new calm in our hearts, which is really God's peace. Paul was a great example of this, if you think about it, and we'll see this when we look at his letter to the Philippian church in a couple of weeks. So many hardships had come Paul's way, and You know, if you think about it, he'd been beaten for preaching the gospel, he'd been shipwrecked, he'd been imprisoned, and that's just to name a few of his trials. But all that said, he never allowed his circumstances to stop him from sharing the gospel and from loving others. He knew what it was to be in need, and yet he was able to say that he had learned to be content in every situation. Because Paul knew that Christ would strengthen and uphold him, he knew God's love, God's joy, and God's peace in the midst of it all. And we need to remember that love, joy, and peace will grow in our lives as we walk in the Spirit and look to him. The next three characteristics are to mark the believer's interactions with others, and these are forbearance, kindness and goodness. 
Forbearance is seen as endurance or a long suffering, as patience with others, just as God has been patient with us. The Christian who operates with forbearance or long suffering puts up with others. He or she does not wish ill on anyone, but rather acts with kindness even to the undeserving. In fact, kindness and goodness are often seen together in the scriptures, but the Greek words are very different. Kindness is a gentle helpfulness that will come alongside others in their time of need. But goodness is willing to correct, rebuke, and where nece- uh, correct and rebuke where necessary for another person's benefit. Only the power and wisdom of the Holy Spirit, though, can really help us walk with both of those in balance as we relate to one another. We cannot manufacture them or maintain them in our own strength. His presence in our lives will produce these traits and help us to express them. The final three qualities that Paul mentions are those of faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This kind of faithfulness implies not only that we are faithful to God, but that we are faithful in our dealings with others as well. We are to be dependable, keeping our word and our promises as God does. The word that Paul uses for gentleness here is actually a difficult one to translate because the same word is used in many different ways in the New Testament. It means to be surrendered to the will of God, to be teachable and not too proud to learn, but most often it was used as meaning being considerate. Let me just say, though, that gentleness does not mean that you are like a doormat, allowing others to walk all over you. No, far from it. In Matthew chapter 11, when Jesus invited the weary to accept his yoke, He also invited them to learn from him, for he is gentle and humble in heart. Jesus says that he is gentle, and yet no one would ever have accused him of being weak, nor was he a doormat. Gentleness is actually about self-control. It is about knowing our own power and authority and yet using it correctly ruling over our own desires and emotions in order to see God's purpose prevail. And how is that possible? It is because we trust God's plan. We know who we are in Christ Jesus, and we have an advocate in him. And by the power of the Holy Spirit within us, we no longer have to operate in the same way that the world does. So after his summary of the attributes a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit will demonstrate, Paul concludes, against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. When we come to Christ, the old person we once were is put to death and we become a new creation. We are no longer slaves to the passions of the flesh, no longer slaves to sin, but we are alive to God with the power to say no to sin. 
Paul encourages us not only to live by the power of the Holy Spirit within us, but to purposefully follow him and to keep in step with him as he leads us in our walk with God. We are to match his pace, go where he goes, follow his lead in all things. I think when Paul speaks in verse 26 here of being conceited and provoking one another, he is appealing to the Galatians not to be like the false teachers who had infiltrated them. It's a gentle, almost fatherly warning to children who just need one final encouragement. And it's as if he says, let's not be like these people who are causing you problems. They are filled with things that are not of the Spirit. We have a better way to walk. Let's keep on that path. And you know what? So should we. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for what you've said to our hearts tonight, that really we have been set free of our old way of life, and we are to eagerly desire the fruit of the Spirit to be evident within us. Lord, we appreciate that this does take time for it to grow, and there is intentional caring and tending that will be necessary. Lord, I just really pray that you would guide us as we go about our week, that you would speak to us about where you want us to begin to cooperate with you more and to change the way that we do things. Lord, let us bring glory to Christ's name. Let us bear the fruit that you have designed that we bear. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. Michelle's messages are also available on all major podcast platforms and on her website at intheword.com.